Hello, this is Ted Haas, and welcome to the Miracles and Transformation podcast. We've been in a very special time at Transform Our World, and um, all of us, from Dr. Ed Savoso down to everybody who's part of this ministry, we've really been seeking the Lord fervently, um, hungry for a visitation. But um, when the Lord... When the Lord shows up, it's not always it's not always what you think because he's holy, he's a holy God and uh he's in control not us. So in this episode I just share some of the things the Lord was putting on my heart at our prayer meeting and um share some thoughts from Exodus about the life of Moses. And then I read the entire 10th chapter of Ed Savoso's second book, Prayer Evangelism, and uh, very insightful, very convicting. As I shared with a friend, I have a word that I don't know if you'll like, but you will love it. So um, if you're hungry for the Lord like I am, and if you're hungry to see the lost saved and to see his glory revealed, and to see your city transformed and your nation transformed, then uh, I think you'll love this podcast, even if you don't like it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. That's that's his high. I mean, Moses, prophet, talks to God as the one who talks to a man, and God not only tells him what he's going to do, he gives him a uh, direct command. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? It's not me whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. of well God has emotions relent do not bring disaster on your people 
Each person was a millionaire. He'd given them plenty of money. They came out of Egypt. He continues to argue with them with God. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. It's another place where this happened again. He pleads with God and he tells Aaron to go raise up the incense Mm -hmm. before the people and stand in the gap. I keep saying as Moses was the chief prophet but we're we're you know we 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 want the prophetic like i had one prayer leader saying another amazing woman aida fortier she was telling me yesterday when it was the prophetic everybody showed up but when it was intercession it dwindles down to seven (laughs) tell you that's about to change though because the Lord is raising up people like Moses. Moses had graduated from the school of the prophets and had become an intercessor. He stood in the gap. There's another place where that when this happens again, he says, if, if you're not going to relent, if you are going to destroy them, then destroy me as well. Here it is, verse 31. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sins. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And you just see the Lord, you know, it's the ant wind shaking up, come out of his, you know, out of his anger. And he replied to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. I wanted to connect that with them. How did Moses learn all that? still recording? Yeah. Can you turn down the uh, music a little bit? So it's, because it's got a really good mic.
Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horab, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that through the bu though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So God, Moses has his argument with God, and you know eventually he, God calls him, and eventually he surrenders. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? He's arguing with him. Anyways, but here's, finally he relents. Moses, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. So, he does this. And he tells them the signs, you know, the staff in your hand. And, you know, your hand's going to turn leprous, come out. Then when he finally argues again, <laughs> but Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you. Not going to send you alone. He's trying to get him to trust him and obey. So then he returns to, 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 to Egypt. And then he speaks to him again. Now, so this is right after that. This is the next thing that happened. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Whoa. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, her adult son's foreskin, <laughs> and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. God is holy, and if we want to know him, he doesn't take sides. He's on his own side. And this whole point was, Moses can't expect the anointing of God to go with him. See, and, and I, I really, I, I, you know, he can't go, he can't say, I'm representing the covenant, and then have an opening in his own life where he hasn't, his son hasn't, he hasn't circumcised his own son. You know, but I think the Lord was actually being gracious. You know, this is like a very harsh coach. He's going to rail you in practice and make practice harder than the game. So you succeed in the game. I can't put you in front of the principalities over Egypt because when that angel of death comes, you're going to be included in it. Mm. And that son's going to die. Mm. So I'm going to. I never saw that. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> And it was through this, it was through these, I mean, this was like his first, I mean, this is where Moses learned it, so that by the time we see chapter 32, in all these experiences, he knows he can trust God. He's meek. He realizes he can trust God more than himself. And he's totally, and then God can, you know, he can understand. And God says, this people, you, it's all about you, right? You brought them out. <laughs> it's like, 
no, you brought them out. <laughs> but it's not like you brought them out. It's like you brought them out. But then he's totally leading them and saying, I know better. You know, he's like, this is like Paul. You know, where he really understands. I'm the chief of sinners. Be gracious for them. Lord, just come. Come. Do we really want you? Are we going to trust you? Because... You know, he's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you let go. Do we want oh, yeah. his holiness? Do we... Uh... So, Ed Zavosom, I wanted to share that. Because that's what the Lord's been speaking to me, and I want to correlate it to what the Lord's been... What Ed shared with the team and kind of what we're going through is very interesting. We had that incredible time on Saturday, and we just felt the presence of the Lord. So powerfully, the anointing. You know, a deep deliverance happened. It's happening. I mean, we witnessed miracles. Um... Ed was about to go on. We just had a, you know, we, well, Ed was, we just brought some of our C-level people in our network, had an elite gathering, you know, that, uh, for those who are really committed. And, um, and um, you know, 48 people only. And uh, sold out. And then at the evening session, before the closing session, Ed is praying and saying, Lord, you know, give me, give me the anointing. I got to close this out. You know, give me the anointing for the word. You know? and, and the Lord told him, he says, you know, he didn't have the anointing. The Lord says, and you're not gonna. Because, <laughs> you know, the anointing is, um, I put the anointing on you for a task. I can anoint anybody. I can anoint a donkey. <laughs> and then he reminded him of his previous he took him to a prayer evangelism which he wrote well, I'll tell you when he wrote it he wrote it in 2000 so 18 years ago and uh, similar experience and um, I'm, I'm going to read this chapter he's been challenged us to read it but it's a similar experience and he says it's so much more eloquently um, are you ready to see your city or your nation transformed you need to move to a higher level of leadership you need to go to God's officer candidate school where the devil is the drill sergeant I'm writing this final chapter in the city of Manila in the Philippines my team and I are here on the invitation of the Philippine Prayer Evangelism Network an organization that is working with national and local leaders to reach the nation for Christ through prayer evangelism the country is going through a difficult time guerrilla troops are holding the government in check in the Mindanao area the second the national economy has plummeted and is close to crashing hunger is fast becoming a reality to many in this beautiful nation the president, Joseph Estrada, is under attack from within and from without. Time magazine featured Estrada on the cover of its Asian edition with the headline, He is in over his head. Most Christians in the Philippines did not vote for this president whose campaign was but supported by one of the major cults in the region. There has been questions about his character and integrity, and there is now widespread sentiment among the Filipino believers that Estrada is not God's choice to lead the nation. 
Many of them believe that the nation's woes are, in fact, God's judgment on the Philippines. However, after we taught on the need to pray for those in authority and to speak peace over them, national Christian leaders agreed that it was time to bless the president in a tangible way. Everyone present was invited to write a blessing on a piece of paper that would then be delivered to President Estrada. The Lord moved among the 2,500 seminar participants, and soon a huge pile of written blessings materialized next to the platform. Would this make a difference? Would the president even notice? Less than 24 hours later, a cabinet minister was standing on the platform, accepting the package of blessings. She thanked us and begged us to pray that God would put a stop to the attacks of the demonic forces uh, buffeting the nations. Um, Dan Belays, chairman of the Filipino uh, Prayer Evangelism Network, invited pastors to gather around this representative of the president, and a powerful prayer was said. The envoy was then asked to tell the president that Jesus is knocking at the door of the presidential palace, and if the president opens the door, he will come in. Deeply moved, she agreed and asked us to pray that when she conveyed our message to the president, he would indeed invite Jesus in. The next morning, three members of the presidential family came to our hotel seeking prayer, and all these received the Lord. We then prayed, showed them how to intercede for the president on a daily basis. The day I left the Philippines, I received an invitation from President Estrada himself to discuss prayer with him at the palace the next time I was in Manila. God got the attention of the president because a relatively small group of Christians chose to obey God's command to pray for those in authority. These Christians are now determined to see the kingdom of God come to the Philippines. They plan to link every city, town, and village via radio to light the nation with lighthouses of prayer. This is serious business. If you entertain similar hopes and dreams, you need to prepare for the coming of the kingdom. Allow me to share with you a few final thoughts and important lessons that need to be learned and applied if we are going to see our cities and nations transformed by the power of God. More power. My friend Mike Richardson likes to say that his is the theology of more. By this he means that no matter how much he knows about God, he always wants to know more. This is a very healthy perspective. No matter how much theology we study, there is always more we can know about God. Every day we need more of Him. God gave us a refresher course in theology right here in the Philippines. In the early morning hours before our seminar was to begin in Manila, something extraordinary happened in my hotel room. So this is the, this is the experience that the Lord brought him back to and reminded him of because he had it again. I had gone to bed the night before after a rich and fruitful time of prayer with the national Christian leaders. I had heard exciting reports of Filipino pastors being reconciled, neighborhoods being transformed, and Muslim tribes in the South being impacted by prayer evangelism. Intercessors had prayer walked the stadium where thousands would gather the next day to study the principles captured in a beautiful syllabus with a full-color Cover displaying the legend, light the nation through prayer evangelism. Now filled with expectation, I was ready and eager to begin teaching. Before closing my eyes to go to sleep, I had asked God to give me an extra measure of his presence. At 3.22 a.m., I was awakened by the most beautiful feeling of God's presence. I knew he was in the room. I could feel him. 
I fell out of bed and onto my knees, and with anticipation I began to approach his presence in prayer. All of a sudden, I was stopped. I had hit something in the spirit. I felt like a clear glass wall. I was on one side, and God's presence was on the other. The glass wall was preventing me from getting deeper into his presence. I asked God why that wall was there, and he impressed upon me a very sobering message. Ted, Ed, Rob, Amy, Greg, you are not thirsty enough to come to the waters to drink. You are full of good things, dreams, ideas, and hopes. They are good, but good is not excellent. You are doing the right thing, but you are not doing it the right way. You are not depending on me depending on me fully. Then the Lord took me to chapter 1 in the book of Acts. There he showed me how the disciples had been with Jesus, heard his voice, seen angels, and been in prayer, and still they had not experienced the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet they felt good about themselves, and they decided to do something spiritual, fill the vacancy left by Judas's departure. They read the scriptures they prayed, asking God for guidance. The Lord told me I was trying to do city reaching the same way. I knew the biblical principles. I had seen my share of supernatural power. I had assembled a good team, and we were prayerfully expecting God to guide us every time we hit a snag. But I was not depending on him for something new. I was not hungry for more, nor was I willing to lose control so that God would gain it. I was feeding on old manna. See Exodus sixteen fifteen through 21 and John six forty eight through 50. God told me that anyone can see his hands. Servants are expected to look at their master's hands for assignments. But not everyone can see God's face, which he chooses to show only to those who crave intimacy with him. Wow, Moses saw his face. Nobody gets to see his face anymore. Actually, uh, Moses did not get to Moses see his face. Saw his back. No, saw his backside. But it says that Moses talked to him yeah. as yeah, face, face to face. face. Yeah, as one would talk to him. Yeah. yeah. Well, Moses did see his face yeah. in a cloud. Yeah. Mount of Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's yeah, cool. that's right. That's yeah. Just see that picture. Jesus Jesus needed an intercessor. He needed Mary Magdalene. I mean, that's why he says, whenever they preach this gospel, I want you to tell about her. You have no idea. I'm vulnerable, and you guys are out to lunch. I'm the big superstar. You don't realize she knows. She's washing my feet. She knows the price I have to pay. And he was trying to cultivate friends. <laughs> you know, turn his servants into friends. His trusted three, and they're and all they're the ones totally out to lunch. <laughs> Takes him up, and he grants Moses' request, and Moses gets to see 
Because this one, this person, this person Moses was holding back. I mean, the other, you know, I mean, the Bible is intentionally writing these things and showing us God, revealing his character. God has emotions. That person Moses was interacting with was Jesus, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh. And I had this picture of like, you know, I just saw it differently and it looked like, you know, like you watch the basketball games and one of the players has lost it and his teammates are holding it back uh -huh. until he calms down. Because yeah. if you throw a punch, you're kicked out of the game and the guy's trying to get underneath your skin and holding them back. Uh -huh. And it's like, Moses was holding back Jesus, his friend, from, you know, striking them all dead. And then God, God sent Moses to comfort Jesus when he needed it. He saw an old friend. <laughs> that is, that's deep revelation. There. <laughs> Moses, you know that offer you made? You aren't going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm about to go do it. And they don't have a clue. And these guys that are supposed to be helping me are making it worse. <laughs> and this guy here, he's going to betray me. The big, the leader of them all. The They'll make it through. I'll make it through. The one that's going to make a, a, what is it? Woo. a, a tent for each one of them. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. one that's in the one. Yeah, Peter. Yeah. Open You're not there yet, feet. Peter. You're not yeah. there yet. Yeah. Peter made it through, though. Peter yeah. made it through. It was Pentecost. Peter, you're not thirty or thirsty enough. Servants are expected to look at their master's hands for assignment, but not everyone can see God's face. He chooses to show only to those who crave intimacy with him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The Lord indicated that I am confusing his anointing with his glory. The anointing can be given to anyone in order to accomplish his purposes on earth. Even the high priest who orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion was anointed to prophesy that one man should die for the people. God's glory comes only when we are desperately thirsty, when we come to Jesus and drink in holy desperation. Ed, Ted, you are not thirsty enough. Like Peter and the disciples, you know what the scriptures say. You have figured out what needs to be done, and you're doing it the best you can. You're coming to me for guidance when you get stuck. But none of that is enough. You need to experience the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be driven out of the safety of the upper room by a mighty noise. You need to be purified by tongues of fire over your head. You need to be overcome by my spirit to the point that you will not be afraid to lose your human dignity and lay on the ground. Now I understood why that glass wall was there. Later that morning, I met with the team, and we corporately confessed our spiritual private poverty. 
crying out to God for mercy. I put aside my notes for the first session. Instead, when I stood before the people, I told them about the visitation. And we all lay before him, crying out for a new day of Pentecost. Out of that first session came the clear leading that we need to reach out to President Estrada with blessings. If I had taught instead of what was on the scheduled program, good things likely would have happened, but good is not the best. Because we cried out to him, God led us into something extraordinary, a move that has the potential to turn the presidential palace into a lighthouse of prayer. Let us empty ourselves of every good thing we have so that God can give us the best. He alone can, can provide true excellence. We cannot reach our cities feeding on yesterday's manna. We need new manna every day. The books, the notes, the miracles of yesterday, all these are just old manna. We need to subscribe to the theology of more. To do so, we need to give up control and live in a constant state of awe, as did the disciples in the early church. They did not know that each new day would, would bring until they met afresh with God and he revealed it to them. We can reach a city by relying on the anointing, but we will not see the glory of God unless we thirst after him. I would say we're not going to reach, well, uh, yeah, maybe we can reach the Bay Area. We can do good things in the Bay Area with the anointing. We can do really good things, but we're not going to fulfill our destiny. We're not going to. Begin to subscribe to the theology of more, more of Jesus every day. God's Officer Candidate School. If you are dreaming of big dreams, such as seeing your city and your nation transformed, you are positioning yourself for greater leadership. Even if you do not say it aloud, in the innermost part of your soul, you are toying with the idea that you are to lead others. This may be difficult for you to verbalize, because godly leaders are humble people. God has allowed you to lead in different aspects until now. But to see your city or your nation transformed, you need to move to a higher level of leadership. <sighs> he who's forgiven much loves much. Rob, the Lord's just showing me that you love much. And you're going to pastor some extremely influential people. He's just showing me as I was reading this, I thought of William Wilberforce, who was used by God to end slavery in England. And it was uh, Amazing Grace, the, the, the author of that, who was a, a, um, a slave trader, a ship, who before he got radically, just the Lord met him. He was William Wilberforce's pastor. And the Lord showed me you're going to pastor some very, very influential people. You need to go to God's officer candidate school where the devil is the drill sergeant. talking about the title I'm talking yeah. about the function yeah. talking about loving people I'm talking about 
you know, I don't have it. Well, right. I guess I have a title now. I'm ordained. I never think of myself as a title. Uh, you're going to do to others what I've been doing to you. Loving you. Being a friend. Guiding you. You can do this. The most powerful picture I saw of love in a pastoring was when I was, uh, you know, still a young believer. And this was by a totally unsaved person in Portugal. And uh, it's the guy who uh, started me out in my art career. Um, he was, uh, he had an art dealership and he saw my work and encouraged me. He said, you're really good. And his son played basketball with me. So that's how we kind of saw it. Okay, kind of connected with him. He was, uh, we were talking, you know, and he was, I was trying to convert him. <laughs> and he wasn't ready to get converted, but he loved me. <laughs> and he shared uh, this story about, you know, when he went through this divorce and it was really, really hard for him. And he was drinking too much. And uh, he was downstairs in the cafe in the building he lived in. He got drunk and he was making a scene with himself and he needed to leave. So they called his son, his, you know, big strapping guy. Oh, he was his teen. Yeah. Oh. So he's, he's, he was nearly as tall as me, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. said, come down and get your dad. <laughs> so you can imagine the teenage son is embarrassed. He, dad's acting like a drunk and making a fool of himself. So the big strapping kid comes down, sits next to his dad. Just two for him and one for me. He sits there and he drinks with him. Tells everybody, this is my dad and I'm not ashamed of him. He's a drunk, I'm a drunk. And of course, he <laughs> took him up after that. Man, I'm like, wow. I'm like, that's love. It's like true love. I mean, you know, boil down Corinthians 13. It's, can you be a friend? That's true love. That's pastoring. That's Jesus. That's an intercessor. Man. Wow. In Luke twenty-two twenty-four, we read of a dispute. Holy Spirit, you're teaching us right now. And we just say, we want to talk about you. And we want you to show up. You're here, but we acknowledge you're here. We set you free to do whatever you want to do. We trust you. If you're going to try to kill us, it's because we've got something in our lives that needs to be dealt with so that you don't turn us over to the principality. We trust you. In Luke 22, 24, we read of a dispute among the disciples as to which one of them would be regarded as the greatest. What do you picture Simon Peter doing during this dispute? Do you see him sitting quietly in the corner reading from the book of Isaiah while praying for his immature brothers? Or do you imagine him advising the other 11 that the only spot open was number two, since he was clearly number one? <laughs> I'm sure you would agree that the latter better fits Peter's personality. 
Jesus responded by first addressing all the disciples and explaining how the kingdom of God works. He graciously promised them thrones, affirming their desire for greater leadership. Verse 30. But then he switched his focus from the twelve to the big fisherman, Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Luke 22, 31 and 32. Jesus singled out Peter here, telling him that in order to lead, he needed to go to officer training camp. You will be stripped of everything but your faith, which I will preserve for you, Jesus said in essence. You will end up heading in the wrong direction, Peter, but when you turn around, you will provide leadership for your brothers, but not until you have graduated as an officer. Peter's greatest asset was loyalty. As such, his greatest fear may have been to be found disloyal. And this is exactly where he ended up. He denied the Lord. Peter cried bitterly, but it was a cleansing cry, one that washed away all vestige of self-confidence. One that washed away all vestige of self-confidence. Where are we putting our confidence? You can't go before the principality if there's anything in you, it has to be him through you. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to anoint us. He's going to make us feel wonderful. But our old life is not compatible with his life. And for him to come in, we have to die. There's no other way. And you can't kill yourself. I mean, you can't. You can't hold your breath till you die. Nothing living dies without a struggle. And we have to, we can't be willing. We can only be made willing to be made willing. He has to do it. On that fateful night, Peter came to the end of himself and realized that he could not serve the Lord or lead his brothers in the natural. I mean, Peter got it. Peter, Peter got it, and he finished strong. He understood what Paul articulated. I mean, just the fact that Peter let Paul articulate and write the whole scriptures because Peter, Paul, had a gift at that, and he endorsed him and signed off on his letters. Just that is there. But what Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners, Peter understood that. He thought he was finished. But when he turned around, Peter found that the Lord had preserved his faith. You see, that's why Paul says, he, we overcame, he turned it around by leading us in, as captives in his, in Christ's triumphant parade. <laughs> that's how it went. The Lord once again shows us to everyone how broken we are what sinners we are, and that he conquered us. Man, Jesus died. Man, I just, Jesus died for Peter. He had to die for Peter. I have to, I have to let you deny me. And Peter knew he turned him over. 
It happened a few weeks later when after having tried in vain all night to catch fish, he recognized the risen Lord. Okay. If you can catch fish when nobody else can by one word, you don't need money. That is money. Okay, this is the miracle. I didn't think of that, but we, and I, we were praying for it. Yes, you need fish to eat. But if you can turn water into wine, see, this is G, the Holy Spirit is the golden goose. And he wants us to trust him and understand that. Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to meet him and to be welcomed to enjoy the breakfast Jesus had prepared. If you are to lead, God needs to strip us of all vestige of self-confidence because self-confidence stands between us and total dependence on him. To do this, he allowed the devil to come in like a raging flood. The very thing we fear most is what he allows to happen, and we sink to the deepest part in the ocean of our fears. So that when God's arm reaches down and pulls us up, we will know it is his power that counts and not ours. Fear can only frighten us in the future tense. When we tell ourselves how afraid we are that such and such a thing would happen, we are most vulnerable because we are experiencing in the emotional presence a situation that can only happen in the future and as such is beyond our control. When that which we fear comes to pass, we are finally able to do something about it besides fretting. Not even God can fix a situation that does not exist. Only when our fears come to pass is he, is he able to deal with them. It is only the broken vessel that the divine potter can remake into a new one according to his will. The power of the resurrection requires a death first. God allows the devil to inflict such so that the Lord can resurrect us in the fullness of his power rather than our own. Don't be afraid of the struggle. You will overcome in the end because the Lord will preserve your faith. Do not be afraid of being wounded. Those wounds will become the reminders of God's faithfulness. You may need to go through situations that to the eyes of bystanders may present you in a light that is less than satisfactory to your pride. But remember, although some people despised Jacob because he limped, only Jacob knew what it was like to have wrestled with an angel and won. You want to see your city transformed, you need to step up in leadership, and to do so you need to be sifted like wheat by, the, by God's drill sergeant. Welcome every trial that comes your way because it is designed to make you stronger by first making you, taking you to the limits of yourself and then driving you into the arms of the one who has words of eternal life. When you emerge, you will be able to look the devil in the eye until he blinks. That's You will have been to hell and back, and you will have learned that there is no power in that dark place capable of opposing the resurrection power mm. now operating in you. Mm. Mm. 
Greg, I'm just, I'm just sensing. It's like the picture I keep getting is the um, commando. Well, wow, that was the word. You're one of the commandos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The commandos cost, they're like $100 million, something close to that, $30 million soldiers each. That's how much it costs to train one of them. And when we were praying for money, that's why I felt that so fervently. The Lord is saying, if I had a billion dollars, I'm going to invest it in people. You don't need... The greatest asset is the people. The Lord has already given the church billions of dollars. And we're here. We're here right where we're at. We need to really understand that. I mean, absolutely. And I don't want to go to the other side because I'm thinking of Rhonda Prudente, for example. She needs money. And she, you know, it's tangible. She has, you know... And we need to care and we need to give with what we have. Um, and, 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 you know, people need bread, they, you know. Well, I don't know. She doesn't need money. She needs bread. She needs gas. She needs, you know, she needs those things that money can buy. And mammon is meant to serve us. And yes, we need to have faith for billions of dollars. But that's the whole point. Faith. Faith so we can receive it. And when we get that faith, that faith is the ten- that is the substance of things hoped for. Yeah. That we'll walk up there, and when we that we have it, that it's a credit card. It's like a guy who's so stuck in the old mentality that he has to carry tons of cash around with him because he doesn't believe this is going to work. It's like that's just your old mentality. We've got to have that. If I've got faith, I've got all of my resources stored in a secure place where no one can steal them. And whenever I need them, I just whip out my faith and it will be released. Mm. Which means the Lord is paying for this long... All this is is a training process Mm -hmm. for you to be prepared at the right moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you are that commando to bring his presence into the next place. It's all about preparing you. Mm-hmm. <sighs> amen. Amen. That's right. Let's give us an amen. Mm-hmm. And you did commit to tithe off of your signing bonus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you committed to give. Yes. I will give. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, Lord God. Joyfully. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Because uh, 90% is better than 0%. Mm-hmm. You Only Jesus matters. That's right. When multitudes showed up unannounced, the disciples requested that Jesus dismiss them. Instead, he fed them, and he then sent the disciples ahead to a boat while he dismissed the multitude. That night, as Jesus prayed alone on the mountain, the disciples became caught in a storm at sea, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Then during the darkest hour of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on the waters. But instead of being encouraged by this, the disciples were frightened, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. This is sad. Jesus walking upon the very waves that threatened them should have been a powerful and most comforting sight to the disciples. Why did they not recognize their Lord? 
because they slid down the escalator of fear. First, they were frightened, a subjective state. This means that they felt fear inside them, but they externalized their fear when they spoke corporately declaring it is a ghost and panic took over, making grown men cried like scared babies. <laughs> they were experienced sailors who had fished at night since childhood, so why were they suddenly in such a pitiful state? Because they took counsel from their fears. Fear is always a poor counselor. If you hope to reach cities, you should never listen to your fears. More importantly, never hang around people who verbalize their fears. There is a powerful spiritual chemistry that is activated by declaring with our mouths what we have chosen to believe in our hearts, whether it is faith that saves us or fear that sinks us. When people allow their fright to become a confessed fear, panic sets in. The difference between a coward who flees and a hero who stands is minimal. The coward looks at his fright, takes counsel from it, and runs. The hero is not without fear. He simply refuses the counsel of his fears and chooses to stand firm. So how did Jesus minister to his disciples? He told them three things. Take courage. In other words, change your attitude. Choose to face the problem rather than run from it. It is I. And folks, some of the most powerful memories I have of the reality of Jesus are not the miracles. And I've seen some miracles, I mean, witnessing the miracles firsthand, like right in front of you, like deliverance is really powerful. Um, but I remember being totally out of my element, totally stressed out with lots of expectations and carrying the weight of the world because I believe in what we're doing, you know, and having to accomplish this stuff when I'm totally exhausted and wanting to please Ed, I mean, you know, in, rightly so, you know, the Lord, you, you, you want to, you know, please the person you're serving. That's the whole point of serving them, you know. Um, and I, I can't remember where it was. And just being totally and saying, God, I just can't do this. I can't do this. I want to run away. I can't do this. Say, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me. Just facing it. Say, Lord, help me. And just feeling his little gent gentleness. I'm with you, God. I'm with you. Facing it. And having just enough peace. And then the clarity of mind comes. And we're able to, you know, I mean, you still have problems, but you're able to retain your peace and act upon them and you get through and it's a positive outcome. And it's like, I remember specific, specific mm -hmm. instances, the power of just facing it, not running away. Mm -hmm. Lord, forgive us for running away. Yeah. Just Amen. face it. Face who we are. Stand in the light. Amen. Stop self-medicating. Whatever it is. Yeah. It is I. This is the fact in which our faith must be based. Man, I just, you know, this was obviously, this happened, and then it was recorded the way it was recorded, very intentionally. Jesus is going to come to us walking on the storms that are buffeting us, walking on them. It's the storm that's bringing him to, them, to us. It is I. Him. Do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. Once your attitude has been changed and we have accepted the fact that Jesus is with, with us, 
it is very normal for us to stop being afraid. Normally, the first thing we tell people who are afraid is that they should not be afraid. This seldom helps (laughs) because fear is an emotion that paralyzes the will. Instead, we need to do what Jesus told the disciples to do. Change your attitude. This is a a decision one can make any time, not because of psychological hyping, but because Jesus is next to us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is master over the problem that is battering us. Peter finally recognized this, and he dared to venture out of the boat and walk on water himself at the word of the Lord. How far was Peter from Jesus when he began to sink? Just a few feet, since Jesus was able to stretch out his hand and get a hold of him. Throughout human history, many of the greatest defeats happened within minutes or uh, or inches from victory. Brave men quit and went down in defeat when they could have been crowned with victory had they persisted just a little bit longer. Mm. When the British surrendered Singapore during World War II, the Japanese commander scolded his fallen foes, telling them that if they had fought only a few more hours, he would have been the one surrendering. He was fast running out of ammunition and supplies. The British had surrendered with plenty of both. As discussed in the opening chapter, we are often much closer to victory than the enemy wants us to know. Peter's success and failure on the water illustrates this. With minimal faith, he said to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He was not taking any risks. Jesus asked the Lord to make him do it. And he was doing well until he focused on the wind. It is important to note that what Peter, what brought Peter down was not the waves that were buffeting the boat, but the wind. This is important for two reasons. As an experienced fisherman, Peter was in his element. He knew the characteristics of water and how to deal with waves. But the wind was something else. Peter succumbed because of his inability to handle something that was beyond his normal area of expertise. This is often true of Christians today. That is why we need to learn to walk by faith in new areas. Yesterday's manna is no good for today. God will allow the devil to push us out of our areas of natural ability so that through a failure in the natural, we will learn to rely on God in the supernatural. The second reason Peter started to sink had to do with Peter's objective. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm in agreement. I'm he was almost that. to Jesus when he began to sink. Why would he lose it so close to the Lord? Because Peter's ultimate goal was not to be near Jesus, but to make it to shore. Mm. We know this because the Bible says the wind was contrary means the wind was blowing away from the shore, the direction sailors head when caught in a storm. Peter lost it when he saw the, the wind. One cannot see the wind without a visible frame of reference, which for Peter had to be the shoreline. Peter sank because his objective was to make it to shore, not to be with Jesus. Reaching a city for Christ is important, but it pales in comparison to drawing near to Jesus. Our objective cannot be to reach a city. It must be intimacy with Jesus. But wouldn't he have been walking the opposite direction? 
If Jesus was walking to them, they should have been walking that way. So if he saw the shore and wanted to walk to the shore, he would have been not facing the shore that he wanted to go to. I don't know. I don't. I I don't. I, I mean, like, I, know, I don't know. Regardless, I mean, right, he's using right. his anointed creativity. Right. right, right, right. But clearly, this point yeah. in the image that he's using, whether it's, right. you know, right. is is very very powerful. And mm -hmm. if we are looking to get out of our problem, right, right. rather than to be with Jesus, right. you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're gonna fail. So. Whether this was one of the ways, uh, yeah. So that that definitely I, I resonates. Yeah, yeah. Our objective cannot be to reach a city. It must be intimacy with Jesus. If we are going to walk on water, it cannot be to display our faith, but to draw closer to Him. Yeah. Whether we reach a city or not, our driving passion has to be intimacy with the Lord. If we draw near to Jesus. We will then bring him into the boat. The wind will stop. And those who are paralyzed by fear will declare, You are certainly God's son. Definite improvement from He is a ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is so powerful. Wow. This is so powerful. Jesus is going to get in the boat with us. He's not, you know, He's not going to, he, He's going to, get in there with us he's coming to be with us and we have to focus on him and having right. him with us yes, yes then the storm will will end i have seen this over and over and and, and this is also this is so mm -hmm. true because mm -hmm. the miracles are important yeah. okay because yeah, when yeah. someone's sick they need to be healed yes mm -hmm. amen but if we're going to reach San Francisco, mm -hmm. they're watching us. They want to see, is this the real deal? Yes. And they're going to write off miracles. They're going to explain them away. Yes. They're yes. watching to see, what is your character like? Yes. Are you going to love me while I'm still yes. a sinner? And how are you going to walk through this trial? Are yes. you happy? Are you, you know, are you real? How are you walking through your trials? And we have to embrace him and, and you know, and, and, and it's really being at peace and it's an irony, you know, if we're going to want to, it's not suddenly, oh, now we've got it. We've got the spiritual lottery and boom, boom, boom. Everything's all, you know, Pollyanna, hunky dory people. That's just not going to cut it. We have to be willing to be intercessors, to identify with them, to suffer, to be willing to yes. suffer. Yes, yes, yes. <sighs> Mm. Yes. Yes. And they're watching. How are you yes. going to suffer? Are you going to give glory to God, or did He heal you, and now your life's easy? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're going to throw everything at you. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Better yet, the boat will not turn back to the shore from which it, where we sailed, but. Oh no, Peter wanted to get back to the shore. He'd given up on trying to get across. Oh, I mm. see. That makes yeah, sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Instead, it will cross over yeah. to Gennesaret, uh -huh. the place we almost turned our backs on when uh -huh. the storm hit. Uh -huh. And the people there will touch Jesus as many as touch him will be cured, uh -huh. healed. Can you imagine how differently mm -hmm. things would have turned out if the disciples, with their proven dislikes of crowds, would have made it to Gennesaret ahead, ahead of Jesus? Mm. 
They may have dismissed the people or allowed only a few to see Jesus. Instead, yeah. because of the storm, they learned a valuable lesson. And a wow. Wow, wow. Well, I've read this. I just read this last night and didn't uh -huh. even see this part. Wow. Instead, because of the storm, they learned a valuable lesson and arrived in Gennesaret to see people and a region transformed. Mm -hmm. You see, when God was touching David, Georgie, so deeply, like, you know what I want? I want his glory. I don't just want his anointing to do miracles. I want his glory. Oh, but it's not about me wanting it. It's him. It's him. Uh, so yes, that's what's gonna be. It's all. It's Jesus. It's I. He wants to heal all the sick. That is the beauty of trials. They force us to exchange our good things for his excellence. They teach us how to face the devil and God's power by rendering our power useless. We soon learn that we can only overcome the adverse adversary and the power of the resurrection made real by the faith that Jesus preserved for us. And when everything is said and done, we know that the only thing that counts is Jesus. It is not what we do for him. It is him, only him. All that we have accomplished, you have done through us. Lord, give us that grace, Lord, that grace to, to, to work our tails off and achieve things with excellence, but have that humility that it was just to, to even be able to do that was a gift from him. And it was a joy to be able to be on his team. When we finally stand before the judgment seat of Christ, each of us will stand alone. No one else will take our place when our turn comes to face the Lord. No other Christians, no other pastors, no other city reachers, just Christ and me. It is my desire, and I pray it becomes my ambition also, that on that day I will be drawn to him by the consuming desire to embrace the one who embraced me when I was lost. And that this desire would be so rooted in me that when he goes down the list of things for which he is pleased with me, I will be as perplexed as the righteous described in Matthew 25, 37 to 40, who did so much for Jesus without realizing it. How can a person give water to the thirsty, feed the hungry, and visit prisoners and not realize that he or she are doing these things to Jesus? Because when we are so focused on him and him alone, the things... The doing does not matter. It is being with him that counts. And when we are with him, passionately in love with him, we always take care of those he came to seek and save. <laughs> if we are so focused on Jesus and him alone, the storm around us will die down and multitudes will confess that he is certainly God's son. They will do it not because of our expertise, but because of our dependence on him. Let us make Jesus our only consuming passion. Then and only then will we be ready to see our cities transformed. Amen. Oh, that's Amen. amazing. What's the time? It's uh, 6.38. 6.38. Mm -hmm. 6.38, wow. Ha, <laughs> ha,